Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh, Wendy. Today we get to talk about one of my absolute favorite subjects. Oh boy, I can't wait. What's that, Mike? Sex demons. Oh. <laughs> That's right. An interesting one for sure. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's not every day that you get to really go in depth on something just, uh, just so close <laughs> to your heart as sex demons are to mine. No, we've, we've talked about sex demons before, specifically the idea of the old hag syndrome. Okay? Yes. So we've talked about succubi before. And the idea that people wake up in the middle of the night and they feel a pressure on their chest. And then they can't move. And some people see what looks like a scary woman sitting over them. It's always a fun way to be woken up. Okay. So the Gray brothers, uh, who we, we interviewed in episode 59, Adam Gray, he was so, like his life changed so much by this old hag feeling that he got in the middle of the night. He woke up in the middle of the night and said he saw this woman like in a hood over him uh, and this pressure in his chest and he was paralyzed and he couldn't move. And he made a movie about it. They traveled around the world and interviewed different people about the old hag syndrome in different cultures because that happened to him. Now, Wendy, have you ever woke up in the middle of the night with an old lady on top of you? Uh, thankfully, I can say that I have not. Okay. Now, I have, but that wasn't a succubus. That was just a bad choice. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> ah, all right. No, but really, I have had the thing where I felt pressure, and I've had, um, you know, like strange, like waking up, and you feel like something's on top of you, and you're paralyzed. Oh, man. Scary. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much now know that that's a, uh, like a nightmare when it's happening. So it, well, that's it, good. Yeah, you know, it's only happened a couple of times. But the last time it happened, I was like, all right, this is just a nightmare. Chill out. And I've never had the old woman, though. Like, okay. I've never had the old hag that other people have had. Have you had human-looking creatures? or? or? No, I had the greys. Oh. So I was dreaming about the greys. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so that's, that's what I... Some people would say that's not a dream. Yeah, I you would know, not say. Some people would be like, no, you were abducted. I'd prefer to think of it like a bad dream, so we're going to keep it like that. <laughs> That's right. All right. Fair enough. Hey, that's your choice. The thing is, old hag syndrome is something that people have experienced for thousands of years, probably since our brains developed um, in that certain way to keep us paralyzed when we're sleeping. So when we're dreaming about running away from something, we don't actually get up and run. Yeah. And so when the dream world enters the real world for a few seconds, that actually, that's the basis of, you know, Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street too. That that idea. But- uh -huh. So people had these things happen to them, and you couple that with other things that happen in the middle of the night when you're sleeping sometimes, especially when you're a young adolescent. Uh, oh, dear. Sometimes things, sometimes things happen where the dreams may be, I'd like, you know, moist. They moist dreams. Oh, no. no. Oh, gosh. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure they're full-on wet dreams. So that's the idea. So when you combine the idea of the wet dream with also sleep paralysis, you get this idea of people visiting you in the middle of the night. 
And then in the biblical tradition, you take the Abrahamic religions. So the Abrahamic religions are Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, because they all share the common ancestor of Abraham. You get this idea of, you know, any kind of omission coming from your privates or whatever, if it's not in the... If it's not in the world of making children, then it's sinful. And there's that whole thing in Leviticus that talks about when you touch yourself, God hates you. Um, So we've had prescriptions against touching yourself for the past several thousand years. So then what happens when you don't touch yourself, but you wake up in the middle of the night and it's like that you did? Well, then people are like, did I commit a sin? Did something happen? If you're a religious person, you're like, well, what what do I do? Did did I do something wrong? And Uh, yes, you, yes, you did, Mike. You, you can just, <laughs> I did. I was so bad. I was so <laughs> naughty. I dreamed bad things. Sorry. Um, but that's the whole thing. Uh, you know, in, in Islam, when you wake up from a wet dream, you're considered impure and you're not even supposed to read the Quran again until wow. you take a bath. They, they have this, they have a bath called the, the goosel. And I'm, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. The, cause the, it's like, I need to take a goosel. But they have a they have to take a bath where not a single hair is supposed to remain dry in the whole body before you can get back in and read the Quran before you're pure again and you can read the holy book. Um, Saint Augustine, one of the Christian saints, he wrote on nocturnal emissions too, and he's like, "Don't worry, they do not pollute the conscience of a man because it's not a voluntary carnal act." Okay. So this you know this becomes a thing um, where all right, well you have these strange dreams. What's happening? Well, it, it's probably a sex demon that's touching you in the middle of the night, and that, that's what's making this happen. It's a lot more logical. Come right. on. So people are, you know, they're drawing past their body chemistry to do this explanation for the succubus and the incubus. When it happens to a woman, it's an incubus. When it happens to a man, it's a succubus. Now, what particular succubus are they going to blame for this is the most evil woman ever created. All right. Oh, who, my gosh. Who's that? Like who's gonna be, who's the most evil woman ever created? And well, let's let's talk about her a little bit. When we go back to the rabbis in medieval Judaism, they're trying to figure out now. There's two stories of creation in Genesis. Okay, in in the first account of creation in the first book of Genesis, um, it says that God makes man and woman simultaneously. The text reads, "So God created mankind in the divine image." Male and female, God created them. So that's the first version. In the second book of Genesis, it talks about the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam, and then he creates animals, and he brings all the animals up to Adam and says, like, who will be a suitable helper for Adam? Okay? And then God's like, well, none of these animals are going to be a suitable. Like, imagine he brings up, like, a zebra, and Adam's like, well, that's... Not really attracted to the zebra. <laughs> and then, you know, he brings up a turtle, and like Adam's like, well, the turtle's not going to wash my dishes. Okay. Oh, man. Right. Ouch. Then, so God says, none of these guys are suitable helpers. God puts Adam to sleep, rips out his rib, and makes Eve. And then, when he wakes up, Eve's there, and, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the story. Right. But so, so the rabbis were trying to think about, okay... We got these two different versions, and the versions are supposedly written by Moses. Okay, the first five books of the Bible uh, and the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the you know the the books that lay down the rules of the Ten Commandments, that lay down the rules of, of what you're supposed to do as a you know religious person. So Moses, they, did Moses make a mistake when he wrote Genesis, or how do we 
reconcile these two different versions, all right? Mm -hmm. When it says that God created both people at the same time. So if God made two people at the same time originally and then made a companion for Adam later, then it just goes to thinking that uh, Adam had a first wife. Right, I had a starter, ah. had a starter wife. So that's the idea. So the rabbis are like, okay, you know what? Well, maybe, maybe Adam had a first wife, and then she was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and so then God had to find a suitable companion for Adam, and that's that was Eve. All right. Huh. Okay. So, so that's the idea. So th- this idea of Adam's first wife um, isn't like they they don't really talk about it in the. Christian Bible that you read about, and they don't even talk about it in the Torah. This is all in uh, rabbinical writings that come like way after the time of Moses and things like that. But you know, and they do it to this day when people write about religion. They're, I mean, this is a thing over thousands of years, and mythology and and folklore and everything gets developed. Yeah. So who could be Adam's first wife? Well. Um, mm. There, there had to be a reason that uh, she was kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? There had to be a reason that God created somebody to follow. So the idea here is they use this uh, like Babylonian word, lilu or lilitu, and uh, in in those myths, lilitu, lilin, that word lila, those mean like female vampires, the succubi. Oh, all like, right. They, now we're they, getting. Right. Getting good here. So they have that name in ancient Middle Eastern language, the Lilla, that's kind of where they come from. And so even in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, he talks about Adam and Eve being cast out from the Garden of Eden. And when he talks about that, uh, he talks about this desolate wilderness where the demons go to. He's like, the demons and the devils and the Lillin will live in this wilderness. So that inspires uh, this like medieval writer. This is like the, the ninth century or the eighth century. And this medieval writer is writing a, um, like a religious satire. And uh, in, the, in the religious satire, he's got this very wise Jewish guy named Ben Sirah who has to go before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was a conqueror of the Jews. And so he hears that there's this really wise Jew named Ben Sirah. So Nebuchadnezzar brings Ben Sirah to his court, and he makes him do a several ordeals in order to prove how smart he is. So they write this book called The Alphabet of Ben Sirach. Is this anonymous medieval text. And this is the first place where they mention Lilith, as the first wife of Adam. Ah, okay. I'll read you the English translation. All right. So Ben Sirah is in Nebuchadnezzar's court, and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his son takes ill, and he says to Ben Sirah, heal my son. If you don't, I will kill you. Ben Sirah immediately sits down and writes an amulet with the holy name, so God's name, and he inscribes on it the angels in charge of medicine by their names, forms, and images, and by their wings, hands, and feet. Nebuchadnezzar looks at the amulet and says, who are these? So we were talking about this uh, in an episode about magic not too long ago, where people invoke angels, invoke, you know, to to do things for them. And that's part of magic. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm asking the angel to do something. So this is what Ben Sirah does, is he creates this amulet, a symbol of these angels, and he's trying to cure the king's son, or Nebuchadnezzar is going to cut his head off. Ah, Okay. So Ben Sirah says to him, these are the symbols of the angels who are in charge of medicine. And he says some words that I can't pronounce. 
Um, he goes, while God created Adam, who was alone, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He also created a woman from the earth as he had created Adam himself, and he called her Lilith. Now, Adam and Lilith immediately began to fight. She said, I will not lie below. And he said, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top. For you are fit only to be in the bottom position while I am to be the superior one. Oh, geez. Okay. So this starts out like the first thing about Lilith is involving in sex. And Lilith won't be a bottom. She'll only be a top. And, <laughs> and she says, we are equal to each other in as much as we were both created yeah. from this earth. But they would not listen to one another. When Lilith saw this, she pronounced the ineffable name and flew away into the air. Adam stood in prayer before his creator and said, Sovereign of the universe, the woman you gave me has run away. And at once, God sends three angels to bring her back. And God says to Adam, if she agrees to come back, it's good. If not, she must permit 100 of her children to die every day. Jeez. Okay. What does that mean? Well, the angels leave God and they go after Lilith. And Lilith's at the Red Sea. And um, they told her that God said she got to come back. And she says she doesn't want to come back. And the angel says, we're going to drown you. Oh, and she, she goes, you know what? Forget it. I was only created to cause sickness to infants. And if the infant is male, I have dominion over him for eight days after his birth and a female for 20 days. Okay, what does that mean? Well, this is using her as an excuse for like sudden infant death syndrome. This is using Lilith as a, like when kids get sick and stuff after birth, she becomes the... The, the spirit who you blame for it, the, the demon who you blame for Ah, uh, okay. But she says that if I see your names or your forms in an amulet, she says to these angels who come after her, if I see your names in an amulet, I will have no power over that infant. So the angels chase after her. She says she's not coming back because she's having sex with a demon is the other thing too. So there's this demon, Asmael. She, she's having sex with Asmael and they're having hundreds of children. So this is the next oh thing Lilith, that she's creating all these demon children. Oh my gosh. Right. And so this is, this is how this thing gets. It's, it's supposed to be a satire. Is people how they think of this alphabet of Ben Sirah is they think mm. of it as a satire because it's supposed to be jokey. Oh, she has a hundred yeah. demon children that die every day. Um, and... Also, she tells the angels that if, you know, if you guys, uh, if I see your names, I will have no power over the infant who has an amulet that has your names on it. So she won't try to kill the kids who have an amulet with these angels' names on it. And then what happens is she has sex with demons, gets cast out, and she becomes this boogeyman with this boogie woman who then like preys on you know preys on men and the whole the, the whole idea of the nocturnal emission and so she preys on men as a, as the first succubus and she also is a child killer and it's all because she wouldn't take you know she wouldn't get on the bottom for Adam but the thing is wow that's okay. that's the satire is the idea of uh yeah. you know, they write they write this up and it's supposed to be funny but you know how when you read an old text, like, it, it, you know, it, it's like how some people read Jonathan Swift's whole thing about how we should eat Irish children. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And, and they're like, as if it's know, serious. And they don't realize that it was a satire that he wrote in the 18th century because people were like, well, how do we deal with this Irish problem? And he's like, I got an idea for you. And so it's the same kind of thing. So Lilith, because, you know, she was written in this, uh, like the satire and over the course of centuries, she becomes this scary boogie woman who <laughs> has sex with you in the middle of the night and then uh, kills your children. 
And so you will see amulets and things like that from medieval times where they have an image of Lilith, like her hands bound and the names of the angels on it. And the idea is if you kept that over your child's bed, um, in the, you know, the, the chances of them dying in the first week were much less. Wow. You know, and, and she becomes like a, a symbol that a lot of Christian painters use. Michelangelo paints her as uh, like a half serpent. You know, that Lilith is the one that tempts Eve with the apple underneath the tree of knowledge. <laughs> okay. And, you know, she becomes a symbol of like, well, females seducing men, seduction and leading men into bad. It's, it's the Middle Ages, so obviously they have very antiquated views towards women. And so she's a seductress. She's the one leading men astray and doing bad, you know, making them do bad things. And in popular fiction, they treat her as like the world's first vampire. That, you know, Lilith is the one who uh, is the original vampire. The movie Bordello of Blood portrays Lilith as, you know, the original vampire. Ah, uh, um, yes. That if you guys have seen that, it's a, it's a Tales from the Crypt movie. It's the sequel to Demon Knight. And it's the only movie where Dennis Miller plays the lead. If, if, <laughs> if that gives you any kind of idea, the quote, I think it's hilarious. Exceptional. It's right up my alley. But the thing is, Lilith has been used in popular culture. Like, and, you know, I never even heard of her until I played this game called Vampire the Masquerade. And they, they talk about her as being one of the original vampires, like the mother of vampires in Vampire the Masquerade. So I never even knew who Lilith was. Well, I mean, you watch Cheers, right? Mm. Well, of course. <laughs> right. And Lilith is Frazier's first wife. And she is kind of a negative force in that show, right? <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I even think that in Cheers, they even joke about how the fact that she is like the Lilith demon. That's funny. I think there's a particular episode where they joke about it. And, and so the idea was that a lot of Jewish people would get that, you know, she's supposed to be this she bitch or whatever, this character that B.B. Newworth plays. Um, but I never got that. Yeah, I didn't either at the time. But but now, of course, it with makes all of total my sense. new Lilith. And then also um, Lilith Fair, mm-hmm. the, the female music festival that's taking and empowering women with this. Uh... You know, interestingly <laughs> enough, it's James Joyce. Uh, the author of Ulysses, this Irish author of Ulysses, he kind of, in his writing, he portrays Lilith as less of a succubus, less of a temptress, less of a, you know, but keeps the whole baby killing thing in mind mm. uh, because he calls her the patron of abortions. Oh, interesting. All right. So that kind of pushes her into a feminist philosophy. I'll say. As, <laughs> right. As, a, you know, as uh, abortion starts entering the... Uh, social world of feminism in the 20th century and that independent women, the idea was make the choice for themselves, things like that. So Lilith as the baby killer, I mean, it's obviously whenever we talk about something like this, it's, it's, it's the minefield stepping, but uh, politics aside, uh, James Joyce yeah. kind of turns her into a feminist icon because this is idea of we have the power over ourselves. So that's even, I mean, it's the title of a Jewish women's magazine called Lilith, and she becomes a topic for feminist writers because, like, you know, it's, it's a reevaluation of how people treated this succubus, uh, you know, in the, in the middle of the night. And with the Lilith Fair, I mean, Sarah McLaughlin created that, uh, this idea of it's a women, it's featuring women in this tour um, that, because like 1997, even in music, they called it the year of the woman 
Like, remember that, uh, what was the song, Bitch? Oh, yeah, that's right. Merid- uh, was the big song. What, Meredith Brooks? Meredith Brooks did the song, Bitch. And I, I think I covered that one time when we were all doing acoustic songs. Like, we had to pick a song, and that's the one I picked. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it's right. It's a catchy song. It's a great song. Um, there was that. There was that Paula Cole song that eventually became the Dawson's Creek song. I don't want to wait. Right. And this whole thing about this of, of women doing, like, sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> uh, kind of idea. And that's the idea behind the nice. Lilith Fair. And so they, they use this idea. So Lilith changes from evil to empowering for women. And, you know, you could see how Lilith would be uh, evil to the uh, the damned patriarchy because, they're, you know, she's the one who rebels. She's the one who won't be on the bottom. She's the one who won't take Adam's stuff. She won't wash Adam's dishes, and she gets kicked out of the Garden of Eden for it. Aww. And, I, you know, and you would say, to, I mean, I think a, a woman today would rather live independently than under the thumb of her husband. And so they've used Lilith, I mean, besides Bordello of Blood, uh, they used her in the movie 30 Days of, the sequel to the movie 30 Days of Night. She's like the, she's a vampire, she's like in charge, Lilith is there, it's the same idea of the original vampire. Don't watch the sequel to 30 Days of Night because you're wasting your life. (laughs) I watched it it for you, so, you know, don't bother. (laughs) Okay. You know, did you ever see The Fifth Element? When do you saw The Fifth Element? I'm sure we, I think we all saw it together in like the Orpheum in like 1997 or whatever. Oh man, I, no, I wasn't, I wasn't part of that group. Okay. But I'm sure I've seen at least pieces of it. So Mila Jovovich plays this character named Lilu in The Fifth Element. Ah, and, okay. And I didn't even know this until I was doing research for this episode. And I've seen The Fifth Element like 10 times. And it took me a while to appreciate it. But it, it, it turns the concept of Lilith on its head because instead of... Uh, hurting humanity, Lilu is there to save it. And she's born speaking Aramaic, which is uh, an ancient biblical language. So, you know, she, she's born speaking a biblical language in the movie. And the idea is that uh, she's the original woman and the first wife of Adam. And instead of being the one who destroys humanity and tries to kill and, you know, has sex with demons and tries to kill babies, <laughs> she saves humanity. At the ah, end. okay. So the nice. fifth element actually inverts the myth of Lilith. And I never realized that. So like that was, that was an exciting thing uh, to yeah. find out. Fascinating. In True Blood, Lilith is the first vampire in the, in the TV show, True Blood and the book series, uh, which I haven't, it's still on my list to see. So I hope I didn't spoil it. <laughs> and then, you know, a whole bunch of video games she appears in. Uh, there's a book series, the Hellhound Chronicles, Lilith's the bad guy in there. Uh, and I've the read those. The bad gal. The bad, I'm sorry, you're right. The bad gal in there. <laughs> in, in Lolita, you know, Nabokov's book about a older guy who lusts after a younger girl because, when he was a kid, uh, he fell in love with a girl who died, who was young. And so he, mm-hmm. the idea is that he's always in love with this vision of the girl he loved when he was a kid. But he's also uh, this humber humber in Alita is a total just sicko perv. Mm-hmm. But um, he even says of himself in the book that he's perfectly capable of intercourse with Eve, but it was Lilith that he longed for. Oh, scandalous. So, <laughs> right. This idea that he was attracted to someone who would eventually hurt him. I see. So, I mean, from supernatural to the fifth element to, you know, vampire, the masquerade role-playing game to Nabokov, she's even in the Sandman, so Neil Gaiman's work. She's everywhere. Right. Lilith is absolutely everywhere. So the latest place that she is in is in the new movie, Porno. (laughs) All right. 
right there. Um, that just sounds weird. But the title of the movie is called Porno. Right. It is not a porno film. It is the film Porno. There you go. Okay. And so we got to interview the director, the cast and crew, and the writers at the 2019 South by Southwest Film Festival. So we were there at the premiere, and we got to interview the people involved in the movie and just a little setup for it. Um, it's a horror comedy. So it's like in the evil dead <laughs> bordello of blood kind of vein. And it's about these teenagers who work at a local theater and it's in a very Christian town and they discover an old film. And so parts of the movie are filmed within a film. And uh, we'll talk about that in the interview. But so what happens is when they play the old film hidden in the basement, they unleash the succubus who then, you know, who then proceeds to uh, give them a sex education. She does her thing. <laughs> this, this is right from the, uh, the promotional materials. They unleash an unluring succubus who gives them a sex education <laughs> written in blood. Ooh. Yes. All right. So here are, um, we speak with director uh, Keola Rosella, writers Matt Black and Lawrence Vanicelli, and then we also talk with Evan Davies, Caitlin Pierce, who plays Lilith in the movie, Larry Saperstein, who plays Todd, Glenn Stott, who plays Ricky, and Robbie Tan, who plays Heavy Metal Jeff. Whole party of people. Yes, it is a party of people. So the audio here is going to be like a room kind of audio, and we speak with the actors and directors and writers of the new movie, Porno, and this is Wendy and I, live in location, from South by Southwest Film Festival 2019. So we're talking to the cast and crew of the movie Porno, a horror comedy, and it's a grand premiere at South by Southwest. All right, well, let's start out with asking you, uh, sex demons in a movie theater, what, what's the inspiration behind that? Like, what's the, like where, where does that you know, come out of? Um, well, uh, we came across uh, an article about a, an experiment in the 70s in England where they would go into porn theaters and have someone dress up like a ghoul and like run down the hall like this to see if anyone would notice and almost no one did because they were so just whatever. So we had this sort of idea of like, oh, a, a haunted porn theater would be a really fun thing. Then we kind of had this idea of like, well, what if it was like a stand-by-me kind of adventure? And that was the sort of very, very early sort of idea and then it really I would say that idea really this is Matt he's the other writer Kale and I were uh, very good friends and we lived together for a long time and, and so it was just kind of this like felt like an inside joke that just kind of kept spiraling and then became a movie so it was kind of like a an homage to our very strange friendship I would say alright that sounds good and so uh, the, the particular uh, you know you used a study from the, you know, England in the 1970s as, as an inspiration. Um, did you have any other particular real-life inspirations? Like it's a small-town movie theater, right? A small-town community. Uh, with, did that come from growing up in a small town or, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's a kind of fantastical film, but there are details that are pulled from like all of our lives, you know? Uh, I grew up in a very small town just like this. I had, it was a kind of single-screen movie theater where like, saw all the movies when right. I was a kid. Um, I also worked as uh, like a movie theater usher for a year when I was living in Hawaii. And so like a lot of stuff that happens in the film, like sneaking cigarettes in the trash room and feeling like you're just a janitor, <laughs> you know, uh, at, at, you know, at this, this kind of place, like little details like that. Okay, and so 
uh, when you were pulling inspiration, uh, you know, directing the film, working on it and stuff, is there any any particular older films that you had inspiration from? Any classics that you like? Okay, we're gonna grab a little bit of this, a little bit of this to get the, to get a feel of you know you're, you're trying to like you said the stand by me ish, uh, except with sex demons in a movie theater. Right. Um, but that has the whole like want to see a dead body kind of vibe. No, for sure. So what uh, what other older films that you guys used as a you know touchstones that you kind of wanted to bring up in the minds of the viewer? Well, I think a lot of the reviews have noted this, similar to the movie Demons, it's like the Italian horror film that also takes place in a movie theater, so we had never actually seen it prior to coming up with this idea, so we watched it, and it did, it did provide some inspiration, uh, that was, that's definitely one. Um, Annie Baker's play, The Flick, is something that we were super into, um, and also you know, takes place in movie theaters, about movie theater employees, um, but again, like these these were things that like sort of coalesced after the fact, you know, we sort of came up with the concept, and then it kind of... Uh, and then those, those things were oh right, flick, and we should go back to that. And um, I'll talk to you, Jane Doe was a good because it's a very contained structure. Yeah, yeah, structurally, we took a lot. Yeah. From, you know, uh, that movie's scary. Too. Yeah, it's very scary. I really like that movie. Uh, and I think so. There's a film within the film, and the style of that film, I think we looked a lot to Kenneth Anger in particular. Oh, uh, yeah. What's it? The Invocation? No, 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 no. Invocation of my demon brother. I think it's the one. Invocation of my demon brother. Yeah. The other one is oh. Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. Right. Yeah. So, like these kind of like um, very experimental, sometimes Satanist, yeah. Um, yeah. like queer films from I think 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, they, they were actually like you know friends with Alistair Crowley and or I don't know, was Alistair Crowley or definitely Jack Parsons and yeah, yeah. some of those oh, yeah. other Satanists, actual Satanists in those movies. Yeah. We love Satanists. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah, it was a art film Satanism hybrid. So, did anything weird happen on the set when you guys were, like, you're talking about things? Like haunted? Yeah. Sometimes you're working on the old We lived in a haunted house. It was full, I swear, it was full of haunted. It was weird. Like, coming out of the, I think on the first day when we were sort of, like, being picked up to ride to our location where we were to do our table read, we, like, across the street was this, like, horrifying, like, pink, like, it was like a daycare... <laughs> it was like a house, like a pink porch, and everything was pink, and it had like this, like one of these creepy, like horses on springs on the front. Yeah, it was just very like, is this a joke? Like, are we? Was it just a daycare? It was someone's home slash daycare. And we were the filming. Town yeah, we, well, we were filming in Greenport, Long Island, which is a summer beach town. We were filming there in October, and remember, so it was empty. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so like there were a couple of restaurants that stayed open specifically. For us, so that we could eat dinner, and um, and like that was it. So so like that on its own was just like eerie, eerie, yeah. and, and creepy. And it's like so. five, six actors yeah. come from New York to make a horror movie, right? Yeah. So yeah. 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 Like, it, it doesn't even have to be a method, then, right? Like you can, you no, know, we were all scared. No, we were on edge the whole time. Everybody in the town knew about the movie. Like I would go to like a the gym deli or somewhere to shop. Someone would be like, "Yeah, I heard you guys were down there, like making a movie." Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. quickly aware. Yeah. 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 Very focused on it in a weird way. And well, that, that's awesome. So the, uh, you know, it had a, it had a kind of a, a lonely vibe when you were filming there and stuff like that. And uh, anything, you know, in particular, any scenes or anything in the film or even performances when you guys were acting that where if you've had any kind of weird experiences in your own life, like you you use that to. Uh, create the right feeling, or when you were writing it and stuff, we were like, well, I remember we were kids and we saw this, you know, weird kind of thing. Uh, so, anything that you pulled from your own uh, own life uh, in the production? 
music. I, I use a lot of music for my prep. Uh, I play Lilith, so I, I don't know if I should give away. I don't speak in the film, so okay. no, no. a lot of it's like choreographed and physical stuff, so that's kind of what I use is like physical work and music that put me in that. So what puts you in the Lilith mind space? If you're like, I am Adam's first wife and the queen of demons, what puts <laughs> you in that mind space? Um, what was the the song I auditioned with? The Portis Head. Mm, oh yeah. yeah, that that kind of uh, I can't remember the name of that song right now. I think it's Only You or something. Yeah, yeah. or no, it's it's Box Horror. Oh, Glory yeah, Box. Glory Box. Yeah. That was like one of my go-to songs before any any kind of, and also just the I mean, the makeup and stuff like what you're in that and you know yeah. Yeah, and there's a set itself too. I'm sorry. Like the the, the the smoke, the dark eeriness, like it kind of all lended itself to falling into that pretty. Uh, one of the things that I think really like help help me, and what that I really love about the movie is, is is it's not overt and it's not like a a super strong message, but there's a lot about repressiveness, especially in sexuality and young people. And I feel like that was something that I could tap into because there's there's just so much shame around sexuality and so much shame about you know acknowledging certain aspects of sexuality and the film has that in spades and, and playing all these characters really have that going on for them and uh, that, that was something I felt very connected to and, and even though it's a crazy movie and it has all these right. extreme things happen there is a very strong undertone of something really meaningful in, in that yeah that to I kind of piggyback on that there was and this is sort of I mean, true to my life as well, which is that, like, there's, there's a thing about this film, which is that terrible shit happens to pretty much everybody in, in, in the film. But it's through that that they actually come to a, a greater understanding of who they are, or they, that, like, that horror or that terrible moment tears them free of something, right? And they're allowed to be suddenly who they are. They're changed, they're hurt, they're, um, uh, you know, they've experienced something that is horrible, but it actually makes them move forward with their life in a in a freer way. You know, and that sure. So it's like it's like seeing your friend killed, but here's the upside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. You know, in horror, there's so many tropes where women are punished for being sexual. Yeah. And I feel like it flips it on its head and punishes people for being repressed um, until they aren't anymore. Yeah. Um, and like, there's like a feminism in it. I feel like a lot of times these days, feminists are covered. You know, it's like if you're gonna be a strong woman, you can't be a sexual woman. And like, that's just it's. And I don't know if it's because of patriarchal or whatever, and something that women have that men don't. But like, why not use your sexuality as a power tool and like own that? You know, and it, it's an interesting, you know, sure. perspective for the film too. And uh, so you know, when you were talking a little bit about Kenneth Anger and those inspirations that include like friends like Alastair Crowley and everything like that. Um, you know, there's, there's such a deep history of, of weird stuff, especially um, like when you talk about Jack Parsons and, and things. And, and did you use any of that stuff when you were writing about it where you're just like, okay, uh, like we took invocation like we, we actually use like these Latin words from a you know a spell or something like that so are there any, are there any little touches like that when you were writing it where you found uh, you found some like okay uh, we you know we read this crazy book that has a whole bunch of Latin things in it let's put it in the movie 
Well, the weird thing about it, the, the weird thing about the, the actual succubus mythology is that like it's kind of. Uh, I can I stop? Please, please, the fact that you didn't, we'd be mad. Because, like, basically, the, the sort of it, it seems as though the idea of the succubus and incubus comes from the fact that monks were having nocturnal emissions in the nighttime, and so they blamed this demon that would come and steal their seed and impregnate, you know, make these like demon creatures or whatever. I'm probably butchering some of it, but like, basically, like the actual mythology of it is kind of nonsensical and has this kind of bizarre. History, which we did not want to tap into, so it was a little bit like Evil Dead, where we were like, we're just going to create our own mythology and hopefully it makes sense. And then, we, you know, I think Kayla and Lawrence and I like drove ourselves absolutely insane one day. Being like, wait a minute, okay, so what happens? What is the true form? And how do you conjure the true form? You need the knife and the bells. They can be arranged in a certain way. It's like yes, but her true form is the demon form. But is, is she still the woman? And like, so we like figured all that out when they wrote it down and then just never used it again. So, uh, I, I, also, I think that you know what. If we drew something from Kenneth Anger, I think it was more using these tropes that have been, I think, uh, used and maybe sort of co-opted for a lot of things that we think are problematic. Uh, not so much in terms of the Satanism, because I think we're all pretty cool with that, but more just in terms of like, <laughs> yeah, general representation in horror kind of sucks. And so we love the fact that he kind of took those things and flipped them to do something totally different. I think that was a huge goal of ours for this film, was to, to deal in tropes, but to turn them on their head, basically. So we, we're you know, very grateful that these actors all took, took the plunge. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned Evil Dead, and talking about horror comedy, like that's the, the gold standard, right? Um, so one of the things that, is that Sam Raimi always put Bruce Campbell through hell. Yeah. And so did you, did you put these nice actors? <laughs> I, I think you have to ask them. I mean, I mean the, 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 the thing about it was that we were working in, we were, we, had a hard time finding a location, like a, a movie theater that would close down so we could shoot it. We found one in this, you know, ghost town. <laughs> Essentially, is is a, is a beach town, but the theater was closed for the winter because it's off season. Um, we didn't. What we didn't realize is that uh, it was closed during the winter. There's no heater in that mm -hmm. place. And it was so incredibly cold you could see your breath indoors often. Um, and I, I mean, I was wearing a very thick coat because I could stand behind the monitor and wear that. But you know, like I, I, I mean, I, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I don't know if you guys have more stuff to share, but I felt it, you know we we had space, some space heaters in some places, but it was it was cold. It was, yeah. it was cold. Yeah. Yeah. And we were covered in makeup hour and a half getting it off when I was in my true form um, and that was you know the prosthetics made everything colder so my arms were freezing my face like what was like and then of course like Sarah or uh, I think her name was Kristen would either run like as soon as I was done like cover me up with the coat and bring me a space heater and like one of our scenes we were both every time we were done we're just like huddled next yeah. to a space heater like <laughs> yeah. so like yeah that that was Certain in its own way. The glamour of the movies. Right? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it was so fun to shoot, and it's kind of really funny to look back on. Yeah, I think also like anytime you're making like an indie and you're like on a on a tight budget, and it's like. It's, it's always going to be a little bit like, um, it's going to be uncomfortable. But I think one of the things that happened is when we would shoot stuff, it, we would have such a good time, then we'd watch playback or something, and it would just be, it, would, it was always encouraging how it was going well. Mm -hmm. So it's like you just 
re, you know, you're just powered up to keep keep going. And if, and if it hadn't been going well, it would have been, it could have easily been miserable. But it yeah. was going well. We, so. be- we became a great support system for each other. Like we yeah. we watched a lot of playback, and we had those fun moments, which I think made the whole thing more bearable <laughs> and more fun to shoot. Okay, so he didn't like drag you through a pool, pool full of corpses or something like that at four o'clock in the morning. No, he did. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was bearable and it was cool. Yeah, yeah. Is that a You had a rough day. There was a couple yeah. of you were covered in blood. Well, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I showed him at the end of the day and you were like, uh, yeah. Well, he, was, he would walk in looking like not just not just physically like he had been through a battlefield, but like mentally. He just had this like dead look in his eye. And it had to be like the fresh scene. blood. So it was like wet and like, it was like, let's spray Evan down. Even yeah. <laughs> though it's cold in here, let's, let's spray him down. And then, and then we'd wrap for the day and be like, time for dinner. And he'd be like, can I take a shower? Yeah. Like, we'd all, we'd all arrive and he'd still have like spatters of blood that he'd missed. Which again, that is just, I get really doused in blood. <laughs> like, I yeah. think the spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a question uh, that brings to mind regarding the script. As far as when you have moments like that and things happen and it gets wild, you know, did you guys stick pretty strictly with the script, or was it something where modifications were made at all during the filming? We, I mean, we wrote a thing, <laughs> and then. <laughs> We, you know, we, we let go. <laughs> oh. I mean, we had to, we had just complete and total trust in, in Kayla to just do whatever he had to do to make whether you know whatever he changed, we, mm-hmm. we trusted. So <laughs> I will I will say though, oh, there were some late <laughs> there were some very late changes while we were filming to what the ending was going to to be, and we were just like I was like you know on location like on the phone with Matt like after a day where we were wrapped, I was like. Okay, so how do we rewrite this ending? So, uh, yeah. 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 Without spoiling anything, there was this scene that we really, really wanted where someone sticks their hands in the air and their hands just fucking explode into clouds of blood um, uh, as they're reaching up to the heavens, and we uh, couldn't do it. Couldn't, couldn't do it uh, for whatever reason. We were like, we have to, we have to re- divert resources elsewhere. Yeah. So there were some things like that where we were like, we had some even more outlandish stuff planned, um, but. Uh, you yeah. work within. The confines of what what, what you have and, and do the best with it. And once you've seen the movie, I, I think Kayla made a brilliant choice in following all of the effects resources into one particular scene. <laughs> um. <laughs> but Kayla was often like doing like great like little additions on in the moment too. Like he would ha- throw out lines and stuff for us to say, and just ver- it, it added a level of fun to have spontaneity and playfulness. And, and how do you like there's different tones like horror comedy too like we you talk about Evil Dead and Evil Dead is the splatter fest and stuff like that and the buckets of blood just you know the fountains of it and then you have like the uh, the tales from the crypt more like little corny style humor and stuff like that so when you guys were working on the movie um, what specific uh, like you have to go from something scary and something disgusting, like the being bathed in blood, to then uh, something funny or something like. How did you how did you do those beats where you were? What what, what would you tell the actors when it's like okay uh, to try to keep the right tone between yeah. something terrifying and disgusting and then something that's supposed to make the audience laugh? Yeah, I, mean, I think it would just be like okay, now be funny and then is <laughs> <laughs> that easy? Now be scared. Yeah, there's not there. One of the great things about the script, and one of the things that we really worked on, is that I think there is a very like strong emotional core, and each character has their own arc. It's a true like five-hander film, and I feel like um, 
you know, whether you're whether it's like a comedy or a drama or whatever, you're just trying to play like the emotional truth of a scene, right? And and then you just you know let let the circumstances make it funny or make it scary, right? And I think they were all so good at doing that. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that. I mean, there were certain scenes that we knew were, were funny scenes, but like it was never like this is this is the comedic moment. This is like this is where yeah. we amp up the funny. It was just like it was funny because like, I, I'm thinking of particularly uh, some of Robbie's scenes where he plays a character that's really intense, yeah. and like it would be it would be so easy to to do it because it's funny. And when Robbie did it, he just did it like he was. This was his character. And because of that, none of us could, could keep a straight face. But it wasn't like it was. It wasn't that you turned on the funny. Me, me in particular, I was terrible. It's, I've ruined most of this movie. <laughs> yeah, but like he, it was it was funny because he didn't change anything. He was the same character when it was the emotional part, and he was the same character when it was the when it was the comedic part. And because there's that consistency and that dedication to it, it just becomes really funny because you watch this character and you think that is so absurd. And like, how, why, how, you know, could someone exist? Thanks, <laughs> man. You're fine. Well, not thanks, dude. No, go ahead, Mike. So the town that you were in, I mean, kind of a ghost town while you were there, did you... Places like that often have, you know, folklore and things. Did you hear anything about any, you know, types of... Um, urban legends or things in that city while you were there at all? Or? I felt like I was going to get axe murdered. I would go running at night, which is probably a bad idea. But like, I definitely it had that sort of vibe where it was like the pleasant town and everyone knows each other. But every once in a while, someone goes missing. No one asks any questions. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those places where like, yeah, there's got to be something like under the road, like under the surface. You know, of the ground, there's like stuff. Like a burial ground or something. Yeah, there's something <laughs> happening under. under oh, it's like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was an eerie. It was an eerie being empty like that and being just like, yeah, I keep going back to that weird horse. It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's the first. That's my. That's my cross the street. And I joked. I was like, we're gonna wrap this, and I'm gonna leave, and I'm gonna look up, and like this house will not be here. <laughs> <laughs> Down. <laughs> it was also you guys were saying it was a, it was a house called the Gingerbread House, it was like a, a sinister name, as sinister as you can get. You know, I feel like so. It, yeah, it was weird. It was, yeah, no actual folklore, but we okay. can come to know. Yeah, we, we came up with some nice backstory. Well, we'll have to do the research so that we can yeah, find out if any of those feelings are related to that. All right, well. Um, Let's see. No, I was thinking about that. Number one, now when anyone like Google's you or something like that, uh, porn will be the first thing they find. Uh, so that's that's great. Yeah. Uh, but just to go down the list, what's everybody's favorite uh, horror movie? Like, what's the horror movie that affects you the most? Oh, so just, uh, and so just starting on here. Um, I will say. I mean, the one that I just grew up watching so many times is The Lost Boys. Oh yeah, it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, always hate about Santa Clara or whatever, the goddamn vampire. I ended up going to school in UC Santa Cruz, which is what Santa, Santa, Santa Clara is based on. So the bad love it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm terrified of horror, so I actually don't watch a lot of horror, so this is sort of ironic. But um, I, Cabin in the Woods, I guess, was the only one that I could like get through with oh, so funny. my yeah, sanity. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. 
Uh, I have so many, but I think my favorite movie growing up was Scream, the first one, and I will always, that, that was one of the ultimate game changers of more, will always be one of my favorite movies. I think I've seen it like 20 times. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fine thing. I will ridicule you if you don't have a good thing. You guys are doing great so far. I also wasn't a huge fan of like horror, the horror genres. This is also kind of ironic for me. But I used to, I, this isn't horror, but I used to love watching the scary movie like series. And, and then, so, so, so because, because I would watch them and I wouldn't know anything about them, then I would like research the movies that they were based on. And my favorite one was the one that was based on Scream. So, so Scream was also one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, I'd say that my favorite is um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Mm. Oh. I just think it's like really fun that it's like, it's just so stupid. Like, right, it's, so, it's, it's so meta. Yeah. And I think doing this movie, sort of filming in a film kind of thing, and like, you know, fun, like the, the hand is like the prop, the props dude is like on horror, in a horror. It's just very weird. I just like it. All right, no, that's a, that's a fine pick. It's two points. For this okay, guy. two points. <laughs> How many points does Leo? He made two films, but I don't know. But yeah, well, the plans are okay. Uh, I, I I grew up idolizing the the Holly, uh, uh, Halloween movies. I think I saw the first one when I was seven, and I me and my best friend idolized them to the point where actually the first ever acting that I did is we took his sister's three foot Barbie doll and made a movie in the style of Halloween, and the killer was the three foot Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I watched that. Somebody yeah. take over it. No! Man. I don't want to talk about it. But no, it's probably probably Tato or something like Jenny Jones. Yeah, it's something like, really. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. Um, well, I grew up watching Tales from the Crypt with my my friends. That was that was a big one. And then when I got older and probably wanted to see more sophisticated, I I would say maybe uh, Don't Look Now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right, deep cut. I, look, I beg to differ. I don't. I think that that's a very, that's a very mainstream choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do have a, a regular and a potential choice. Uh, I, I, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one, was the main thing we want to make horror movies and make movies in general. I saw it really stoned as a teenager, all by myself, and it was oh one God. of the most harrowing experiences of all time. I was like, this is amazing. I think it's actually one of the greatest films in the seventies in general. Um, but. The scariest movie I've ever seen is Cries and Whispers, the Bergman movie. is the most disturbing film I've ever seen. And so, mm -hmm. if you ever did. And there you go. There's the pretentious. I was going to say, oh, oh, a Bergman film. Yes. Oh, yeah. excellent. Hey, thanks a lot for your time. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So I don't believe porno has a uh, distributor yet. Okay, so we can't just go on Amazon and watch it yet. Not yet, but uh, we will make sure we link to, as soon as it gets a distributor and it gets and it gets out there. Uh, we'll let you guys know where you can see it. But it's a lot of fun. The cast and crew were great. We want to thank them for their time. They gave us a lot more time than I thought they would. Yeah, they did. And everybody was very nice. Yeah, everybody was super nice. And, um, you know, we thank them for sharing their stories. And even though we were the only people there who were trying to get, like, haunted, like, was the theater haunted? Was the set haunted? What happened on set? <laughs> right. Like, everybody else was trying to get other things about it. We're like, what about Alistair Crowley? <laughs> yeah, they were probably a little confused by our line of questioning. <laughs> right, the actors. Maybe the writers were like, oh, that's yeah. cool. But the actors must have been like, what are they? Alistair who? But they really were great and uh, nice people. Uh, you can see Caitlin Pierce, uh, the, the, the sex demon Lilith. You can see her in some bigger shows. Uh, she's in Billions. She's been in Limitless. 
and, and shows like that. So you'll be able to see that movie very soon. Of course, we'll link to it as soon as it comes out. But you can see the official trailer and the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 240. Now, for the song this week, we are talking about, you know, the original woman scorned. The, the original woman scorned, right? <laughs> right. There were no women before. Yeah, that's true. She is the first woman to get really, really pissed off at her husband. <laughs> so much so, she's going to go off and do it with a demon and yeah. then kill babies for the rest of eternity. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, that is pretty hardcore. So we had to find our most bitter song and our, you know, our most teed off track, I think, for this particular one <laughs> that, to go along with the story of Lilith and uh, the movie Porno. And so uh, this is when it's off our Loser of the Year album. And it's one of the songs where Ben, our guitar player, sings on it. And he gives it some real gusto. <laughs> yes. So if you want to check out our most bitter, angry Captain Ahab from Hell's Heart, I Stab at the Song, you can find the link to our See You on the Other Side Spotify playlist, which features the song every week. And that's going to be at othersidepodcast.com slash 240. And you can link and listen to the track right on Spotify there. Now, if you're interested in getting MP3s and downloads of the songs of the week that we you know, create for every single episode of See You on the Other Side podcast, well, the place you can do that is our Patreon community. Yes, you can join our community by visiting othersidepodcast.com slash donate, and it is a fun place to be, let me tell you. That's right. In fact, we have a hangout coming up this week, Mike. That's right. So uh, we're going to be hanging out with everybody on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Central Time. So that's the place where we hang out online and we drink beer and suck down wine <laughs> and talk about our favorite- Or tea. Or tea, if you're not into that stuff. And we talk about our favorite paranormal stories and our favorite horror horror movies and it's just basically a conversation we kick around ideas for new shows great interviews we've had with people and it's just a lot of fun and so the hangouts the way that we like to get and keep in touch uh, with some of the favorite members of community and that's that's the patreons also we make sure that you guys get mp3s of the new songs as they come out and special access to our cds and t-shirts and things like that so fun merchandise that you're not going to get in other places that's the Patreon community, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And we have a big shout out to one of our community members. Dr. Ned contributes to our Patreon at a level where he gets this shout out every single week, every single episode. And Ned, we really appreciate all the support that you give us. Thank you. Yeah, you're really, help you're really helping us out, Ned. And all of our Patreons, you guys are helping us out. And so uh, if you're interested, yes. please check it out, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. We're going to have another episode for you guys coming very soon. So if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you go to othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe. And as soon as the episode is up, it's going to be in your inbox and ready to listen to. So why wait? Othersidepodcast.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. I was so bad. I was so naughty. I dreamed bad things.